This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Something else I wanted to bring up as a talking point this afternoon, needless to say, it was announced by the Toronto Police Service and the Sherman family that the private investigation into the slaying of billionaires Barry and Honey Sherman is now over. It's over. And uh, I don't think the lead investigator, Hank Atzinga, did the Vince Carter at the slam dunk contest 15 years ago. It's over. It's over. Uh, but nonetheless, it's uh, now come to, uh, I guess, a complete stop. Certainly the private part of it, they say uh, the rest of the case is active and ongoing. But uh, let's listen to Hank Edzinga where the investigation stands at present. The police investigation has been and continues to be active and ongoing. The work of the private investigative team hired by the family at the outset has been completed. Well, you know, it's a curiosity to me how this one got to this point. And I've been reading with rapt fascination. Kevin Donovan from the Toronto Star, their chief investigative reporter, has written a book called The Billionaire Murders, uh, you know, as we had him on uh, when the book first came out and still working my way through it in detail. Uh, Yeah, it's a fascinating account of two lives, uh, well, the very least of which two lives, but uh, intersecting with so many other players in the community, and that this would still remain unsolved and... uh, it's a head-scratcher, to say the least. And here to tell us how this might have actually gotten to this point where still nobody held to account, nobody uh, found to be responsible, uh, why that is. David Perry has joined us on the line, Global News Radio's crime expert and the CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, Inc. David, always a pleasure. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. You know, David, uh, it's said, if I understand correctly, that the most critical time frame in any kind of an investigation is the first 48 hours. Uh, do you think where maybe this is where the Toronto Police Service missed this critical window? Potentially, but that first 48 hours, you know, that's a true statistic. And cases typically need a real oh, no. quick break to get us to that point. And, um, you know, it just didn't happen in this case like it doesn't in so many cases. So here we are two years later. Yeah, but the initial report, uh, I guess, and now this is where we get some conflicting uh, communication on it, whether or not it was actually an official word out initially that it was a murder-suicide or that was just drifted to the media by somebody who wasn't really, you know, uh, was only speaking on background uh, because that was the initial for the first six weeks. They ran with that story, the narrative of a murder-suicide, No. Yeah, exactly. But I, I also noted that the police were quite silent after the initial, let's call it 48 hours, on what they were thinking. And that's normal because they want to get to the point of, of doing their work and examining all the evidence that they have in the in the early weeks of an investigation to try and make a determination. This case will sort of rewrite the textbook on homicide investigations, if you will, because I still believe that today... Even what we're facing, what we know, what we've heard, it doesn't really make sense. And it won't make sense unless and until there's an arrest made. And we hear from somebody who committed this crime, how they did it, why they did it, and uh, and for what purpose. So that's gonna, we're going to have to be patient for that one. But, John, if you look at this case and you studied homicide cases across North America for the last couple of decades, I don't think you'd find anything that would parallel this one. It just looks so different than anything that all of us who have been in this business for a lot of years have seen before. It's it's a very strange investigation. 
All right. Well, maybe you can flesh that out a little more fully here then. Uh, in terms of a who done it, uh, where are the great distinctions then? Well, I think, you know, if let's just say that we're going with the police announcement that it's a double homicide. To have a double homicide and to have victims found in the way that they were found and in in a way that there appears to be at least a, an extraordinary effort to stage this to um, to clean up the crime scene, to go undetected and, and to have people and, and even the police thinking at least momentarily and momentarily could have been for the first couple of weeks that this was likely either a double suicide or a murder suicide. And then to make a determination later on, and I'm, I'm assuming based on evidence, including a second autopsy, that it was a double murder, that's extraordinary. Normally, when we walk into a homicide scene and something has been um, staged or rearranged, we can spot that right away. Our forensic teams can then find evidence to support what we're thinking, or at least our theories that something has been staged, that a body's been moved, or it's found in a position that wasn't necessarily the way that that body was positioned at the time of death. There's all kinds of things we can do forensically to determine that. This one, for whatever reason, seemed to, um, I wouldn't use the word fool, but it certainly became a bit of a puzzling situation for the investigators in the early weeks. And um, again, I'm only going by what we've all heard. I'm hearing that it was the second autopsy that got the police in the direction, or at least thinking in the direction that it was now a double murder. But who knows, the police, the investigative team may have made that determination even before that autopsy happened. So that's another piece that we just don't know. So I hate to over-speculate on it, but it's a very puzzling case. You know, when you mentioned the second autopsy, that only happened as a consequence of the private investigative team that came into being through Brian Greenspan as he was contracted by the family, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, so does that suggest to you uh, that that opened up a whole new avenue of possibilities only because there was a private investigation? Well, I would say that uh, the second autopsy more than likely had a significant role in <clears throat> helping the police to determine, you know, whether this was a murder-suicide, double-suicide, or a homicide. They came out with the announcement that it was a double homicide. So I don't know if that was as a result and only a result of the second autopsy, or there were other factors and other evidence that presented itself, you know, after being looked at that helped them make that determination. But all quite likely, all quite possible as a result of that second autopsy. So, again, that adds just yet another layer of complexity to this whole thing. But you know what, John, here's what I think. I, I think that the case is back in the hands of the police. It's back in the hands totally. It always has been in their hands, but now totally in the control of the Toronto Police Service. And uh, my view is that that's where it should always be, that uh, citizens have rights to hire investigative teams. But, um, you know, from my view, we need to let the police do their work. And if a case goes cold and there's nothing wrong with, even when I was in homicide, on maybe not a cold case, but maybe we're, we made a determination that it was a death by misadventure rather than a murder, and the family couldn't accept those findings, sometimes they would hire a private team to come in and review our case. And I was always of the opinion that we work for the public, the case is public, have a look, and you make your own determination. So there's a time and a place, and I think, uh, for me, I feel more relieved and more confident now that it's, the private part is done, 
the case wasn't solved by the private investigation team or by the lawyer, but it may have been advanced, as you said, by the autopsy. But now it's back in the hands of the police. They're saying very positive things. And again, all of us that are in this business, we all believe that this is a very solvable case. All right. David Perry's with us, Global News Radio's crime expert. Very solvable case. But we're heading now, it's two years almost to the date, uh, where... You've got Hank at Zynga now. He's the guy uh, who's in charge, and this is with the Toronto Police Service. We came to know him through the investigation of the serial killer Bruce MacArthur, uh, and it was said at the time where the focus was primarily on that one, the urgency, and the case with the, the Shermans, Barry and Honey Sherman, uh, may have sort of been given second shrift because it appeared to be a murder-suicide or they hadn't focused on it to the same extent. Uh what does that say about, you know, maybe police resources or a certain prioritization of certain cases? Well, I know that they were pressed beyond their capacity uh, at that particular point in time with the MacArthur case going going ahead full storm. And they were, you know, very busy in, in uh, wrapping that up in, in to the point where they identified MacArthur, made the arrest. You had the Sherman case going on. You had you know, the Young Street van attack that had happened just months earlier and so many other factors. Uh, it's one thing I like to do with my, my former colleagues and even some of my current colleagues is do a little health check once in a while and see how people are doing. That was at the time, and, and no excuses here, but that was at the time one exhausted and one resource pressed unit, probably more than I can ever remember in any time in, in its history where they were just completely at capacity with all of the investigations. That doesn't change any of the decisions that were made, good or bad. Accountability is a big part of what we do in policing, and everybody is accountable for those decisions. And that's why I admire, you know, so many police officers for, you know, stepping forward and, and taking those risks, risks that when they make a decision that could be publicly scrutinized someday, and if they're wrong, well, it doesn't, it doesn't bode well for your future reputation. But we, these guys have... Uh, pulled out all the stops in this case, and I'm encouraged by what I'm hearing through Hank and, and other investigators through the media releases today that it's not a cold case. It appears that they have a theory, a working theory. It appears that they're still doing production orders and looking for other information that I would assume would possibly help them identify the people or person responsible for this. So I find all of that uh, pretty encouraging, and, and I think today was a more of a positive day than it was a negative day. And in closing on that point, the hardest thing for us to do as investigators is to say that to, to a family, because we all know that families are grieving. That's that's number one. But number two, they're hanging hanging by a thread on the ability for the police to bring closure by solving the case. And two years later, it's very, very difficult. But, you know, if I was speaking to that family, I would I would tell them to remain positive and and to remain open to the fact that now that it's been two years, it could be it could be longer, it could be a significant period of time. But eventually, cases like this do get solved, and we see that on a on a fairly regular basis. And I, I think that's what everybody's hoping for on this one. Well, I hope your optimism is warranted as you talk about production orders. Those are warrants. Uh, I guess they're looking at electronic tracking and so on and so forth, and maybe that opens up a whole new avenue uh, that we heretofore uh, weren't aware of. Hopefully that is the case uh, because a lot of people are saying, you know, the time has passed, uh, maybe a professional hit just done too well that uh, this one isn't solvable. But let's keep our fingers crossed on behalf of all of those uh, who want to see this thing 
resolved to everybody's satisfaction. David, thanks so much for your time and insight this afternoon, as always. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. You got it. David Perry, Global News Radio crime expert, as well as CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, Inc. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 